As you can see, we're going to take a short break from our series of the book of Philippians uh, this morning uh, by looking at Acts chapter 6. So if you would turn with me in your Bibles to Acts uh, chapter 6, and we're going to be looking at verses 1 through 7. The reason we are looking at this particular portion of Scripture is because in the New Testament, in the New Church, in Jesus Christ, this is where the office of deacon comes into existence. And in light of the fact that we are ordaining deacons this morning, I thought it would be helpful for us uh, to look at this section of Scripture. So it will be Acts chapter 6, uh, verses 1 through 7. Acts chapter 6, beginning in verse 1. Beloved, before we hear God's word, if you would, join your hearts together with me in prayer. Let's pray together. Our Lord and our God, how can a man keep his way pure but by guarding it according to your word? Blessed are you, O God, in whom is light and there's no darkness at all. We pray, Father, this morning as we hear your word read and preached that you would purify us by your word. Help us, O God, not to wander from your commandments. Give us grace to store up your word in in our hearts that we might not sin against you. For we often do sin against you daily. And so we pray, Father, that you would forgive us of our sins, purify us, and help us to turn away from our sin as we hear your voice. We ask this all in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. Acts chapter 6, beginning in verse 1. Beloved, this is the word of God. Now in these days, when the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint by the Hellenists arose against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. And the twelve summoned the full number of the disciples and said, It is not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the spirit and of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty." But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And what they said pleased the whole gathering. And they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, and Philip, and Prochorus, and Nicanor, and Timon, and Parmenas, and Nicholas, a proselyte of Antioch. These they set before the apostles, and they prayed and laid their hands on them. And the word of God continued to increase. And the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our Lord remains forever. This text begins with, in these days, or in these days. What were these days? Well, these are the days when the New Testament church and the power of the Spirit was founded and was advancing in the world. That are the, those are the days that are being spoken of here in the first verse. Ananias and Sapphira, we are told, if you look back at the previous chapters, or the, previous, uh, the previous chapters which recollect uh, what happened in the church at this time, Ananias and Sapphira, we are told, lied to the Holy Spirit when they kept back some of the proceeds that they had earned from selling some of their property. They both lied, they both died, rather, they both died because they lied to the Holy Spirit. 
Because they lied to the Holy Spirit, they lied to God, and therefore their judgment was just. We saw that this was taking place in the midst of these days. Many signs and miracles were being done by the apostles during these days. Unclean spirits were cast out. Sicknesses were healed. The apostles were eventually arrested, only later to be freed by an angel of the Lord. This is, these are the kinds of things that were happening in these days. So they were freed from prison so that they could continue to preach and teach Jesus. Well, their opponents, the unbelieving Jews, still tried to stop them. They continued to try to stop what the apostles were doing. But the apostles said, we must obey God and continue to preach the gospel. They said Jesus was killed by being hanged on a tree. These are the kinds of things that they preached. But God, the God of Abraham, raised Jesus and exalted him as Savior. This is the banner under which they did their work, the banner of the risen king, the risen Savior. They said, we are witnesses to these things, and so is the Holy Spirit, whom God has given to those who obey him. As a result of their response, they were persecuted further because they said, we cannot stop preaching the word of God. We cannot stop proclaiming Christ. They experienced further persecution. They were beaten and then told not to speak in the name of Jesus, which, of course, they could not do. They continued to do just that. They had to speak about Jesus. But then, in God's gracious providence, they were freed and they rejoiced and they said that they considered it an honor to be counted worthy to suffer this honor for the name. They counted it worthy, something to rejoice over, to suffer on behalf of Christ. After this, these men, the apostles, continued to do exactly what they said they must do. They did not cease teaching and preaching in the temples, going from house to house. They did not cease teaching and preaching that the Christ is Jesus. Now, we should recognize here that although Jesus had been raised, he is raised, he is, had gone off into heaven, the Spirit was poured out at this point. The church was growing. Multitudes of men and women were coming to the faith that were believing and were drawn to the preaching of the gospel. Although this was all happening and it was all wonderful, the focus of the apostles' ministry was still, at this point, in Jerusalem. Paul had not yet been converted. So all of this was taking place at this point in and around Jerusalem, and only there, primarily. And so in worldly terms, compared to the millions in the Roman Empire and all that the Roman Empire was involved in around the world, compared to the Roman Empire and what they stood for and how many people they had and how much influence they had, the church was still small. But it was growing. It was growing in number and growing in grace. And now in these days when the disciples were increasing, this increasing number, also in verse 7, the word of God increased and the number of disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem. So the church is growing. The numbers are, are ticking up. Even large numbers of priests became obedient, became believers, became obedient to the faith, as we see in this section. This is still, this is what was happening in the church. Compared to the world, small, but growing, multiplying. Disciples were, more and more disciples were coming to the faith. Now, friends, this is what we should be after as a church. We should not be afraid of increasing numbers. We should not be resistant 
to all kinds of people coming to this church here, Providence, to hear the word of God. We should expect that. We should pray for that, that the Lord would increase our numbers. And so this is something that we should be after as a church now, not for the sake of numbers. That is a different motive altogether, is it not? We don't pray for numbers to increase for the sake of numbers so we can boast in numbers. That's what other uh, churches may, they may actually do. No, we pray that the Lord would bring us more families, as many as he pleases, so that more and more families might hear the gospel, so that the ministry of the word might touch more lives. That is why we should not be afraid of our churches growing, and that's why we should be after our church is growing on, to a certain extent. As these families are incorporated into the life of our churches, we would also pray that they would become more and more obedient to the faith. So again, it's not about numbers for the sake of numbers. It's about families coming to hear the gospel and those families staying to be nurtured by the gospel and grow in grace, becoming obedient to the faith, as we see here, and becoming disciples which we all are. The church here is referred to as, all of them, as disciples. Every single one of you is a disciple of Christ. And so we, we long to see families come to hear the word, but we long to see them come to see our numbers grow so that their faith might grow, so that they, their discipleship might be strengthened in Jesus Christ. So it's a different motive altogether from some other groups. But we do, we do want to see people come. We want to see the word of God go out and more and more people hear the saving grace of Christ in that gospel. We would long to see that the word would increase also in our hearts and in our minds. We who are already here are still growing. We see here that the word increase, that is, it in, increased in the hearts and minds of the people who heard it. And so, Yes, we should be after numbers, but yes, we should also be after spiritual growth. We want to see the word increase in our minds and our hearts as well. It is not enough, to put, it this, to put it this way, it's not enough that our numbers increase. That's not enough. It's that the families that make up these numbers would obey. That's what we're after, obey the word of God. Now, how do we get there? Well, elsewhere, it is clear in Scripture that we must continue to pray in everything. We saw in Philippians, make our requests known to God in everything. And so we appeal to the Lord for these things. We plant and water, but who gives the growth? It is God. God gives the growth. If God gives the growth, then we must appeal to him for that growth. In the previous section, Gamaliel, a prominent Pharisee, spoke on behalf of the apostles who were about to be killed. They were about to be killed by the unbelieving Jews, and Gamaliel, Gamaliel stood up and he spoke on behalf of them. And it seems apparent that Gamaliel was not speaking from a heart of faith. It doesn't seem clear that Gamaliel truly cared about the welfare of the apostles. He, wasn't, he doesn't seem to be sincere. But what he said was true, or part of what he said was, in fact, true. He said, if this movement in the name of Jesus is from man, then it will fail. The apostles will most likely be killed. The movement will stop and will forget about them forever. It has happened before. That's what Gamaliel said. But then he also said, if this movement is from God, then it cannot fail. 
If we put them to death, we might even be opposing God. That's what Gamaliel said. And so they let them go. Well, guess what, Gamaliel? With all of your indecisiveness, it couldn't fail. It was from God. This was from God. What was happening was from God. The numbers increasing, people growing in grace, and it can't be stopped. It cannot be stopped. The advancement of the kingdom of heaven cannot be thwarted. As we see here, it's the same for us today, friends. Whatever increase, whether by number, obedience, or both, must come from God. And so we must pray to him to this end, and we must trust that it will happen. He will answer our prayers in accordance with his will. Now, the pastors and elders should lead the way in this. Verse 4, we will devote ourselves to prayer and the ministry of the word. And so the leaders of the church should be the ones on the front lines praying at all times for these things to happen. But we all must pray. So we must pray. But praying is not the only activity that we have been called to. The church must preach the word of God. We must be faithful in proclaiming the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. In chapter 5, verse 42, we, we hear this. And every day in the temple and from house to house, the apostles did not cease teaching and preaching that Christ is Jesus. In the church, this is done primarily by ordained men. Men set apart to do just this thing, to minister the gospel, to preach the word. Pastors and teachers. We see this here in verse 2. The 12 apostles, uh, the apostles summoned the whole church. Again, the whole church called disciples, but the apostles summoned them. And they said, it's not right that we should give up preaching the word to serve, table, to serve tables. And this is what pastors are called to do primarily, to preach the word, to minister the gospel. They are to devote themselves to this, to give themselves over to this activity, preaching the word. In verse 4, the disciples should be supportive. We see that they should be supportive of this calling. In other words, the church should not expect their pastors to function like CEOs. That is not what scripture calls them to be or to do. They don't have to cast visions. They don't have to develop a mission statement for each individual church, although that's not the worst thing in the world that a pastor can do, but that's not what they're ordained to do. They are not fundraisers for the church. They are first and foremost to be preachers of the word, to preach the word, to minister the gospel, and of course to live out that gospel no one listens to a man who doesn't live out what he preaches. And so it's a high calling for sure, but the, the, the calling is preaching, preaching the word. That's what pastors, preachers do. Now this preaching is to be accompanied by much prayer. We are to devote ourselves to prayer and the ministry of the word. If God is not at work in sermon preparation, if he's not at work in the delivery of the sermon, if God is not at work in the heart of the preacher, when we hear the word, then we shouldn't expect much to happen. God must, God must do this. God must do the work. In the preacher, through the preacher, and those who hear the pastor preaching the gospel, God must do it. And so preaching, we must preach, but we must also accompany that preaching with much prayer. Now, tied to the ministry of the word, of course, is the administration of the sacraments, baptism, and the Lord's Supper. So prayer, preaching of Christ from the word, 
is what the church does. But verse 7 here is presented as happening as a, as a direct result of what? We see in verse 7 that, yes, preaching is being done, prayers, of course, is being done, and the church is increasing, and the, the people's faith is growing. But it's presented here, that, as being a direct result of what? What had just happened? In verse 1, as the numbers increase, the needs increase. As more and more people, as more and more families are added to the church, then it usually follows that there is going to be more need. More people, more need. That's just logical. And this is what was happening. A cry goes out from a section of the church there. These were the Greek-speaking Jews. They were called Hellenists, who alongside the Hebrews, they were gathering around the gospel. These people were originally from non-Jewish nations, but they had converted to Judaism And now they're gathering around the preaching of the word. Now, for some reason, some of the neediest among this section, the widows, were not receiving what they needed from the church. There was a daily distribution, which is uh, referred to here as the daily distribution of, of needs, daily resources. These widows were not receiving what they needed to live. This ministry is also referred to here as serving tables. The idea there is simply preparing a meal, preparing something for a hungry person to eat. These widows were not getting what they needed to live. Now, this is, this is what deacons are, and this is what they primarily do. They serve tables. They're waiters. They serve tables. They, of course, can do other things. They, take, they can take up other responsibilities as, as needed, and certainly they should if if they're needed for this. But we should also always keep in mind that deacons are not first and foremost property managers. That is not why deacons exist in the church, to manage the property. Though, if they have time and the resources, certainly we welcome their help in this. We don't ordain deacons so that they can be in charge of overseeing the church building. Please understand that. They can help with this. That's not why they exist. Nor are deacons meant to be the first step in achieving a higher office. Although this can happen. In fact, one of the men being ordained this morning is feeling a call to gospel ministry. So Lord willing, at some point, he will become a minister. But for now, he's being called to be a deacon at this church. So that can happen, but that deacon is not to be thought of as the first step towards becoming something higher, climbing the corporate ladder, as it were, in the church. First deacon, then you become a priest, then you become a bishop. That is not what, that's, not what scripture, that's not how Scripture presents it. In the true church, especially in the Reformed churches like ours, deacon ordained to do two primary, primary things, and they happen at the same time. The first thing that they are ordained and installed to do is to relieve the pastors and elders from extra work. They make my job easier. They make our elders' jobs easier. That's one of the things that they are called to do. We ordain deacons so that pastors can devote themselves to prayer and to preaching, and elders can devote themselves to teaching as well and to shepherding the flock and to prayer. Of course, some of these things overlap, but you you see the point. Deacons relieve elders and pastors from some of the work that would have had to been 
to be done by them so that they can focus on what they've been primarily called to do. Preach the word, pray, shepherd the flock of God. So deacons relieve these other officers of extra work. It is not right, verse 2, it is not right that we should serve tables. That is, we, the preachers of the word, the teachers, the elders, should serve tables. So the first thing they do is that. They relieve pastors and elders from extra work. The second thing, and it happens at the same time, is to do just this, to serve tables. That's what they've been called to do. Deacons exist in the church to serve tables. Now, we'll talk about this more in a minute, but the first thing I would like to look at are, are, are a couple of things. And one is this. The whole church is involved. In verse 2, the twelve summoned the full number of the disciples, the whole church, and the church, as we are told here, picked out from among them seven men to do just this, to serve tables. And he, then he names them all. And so this decision, we, we are told here, and this whole experience, verse 5, please the whole gathering. So the whole church is involved. This is something that all of you have been involved in, have been involved in up until this point and are still involved in today. You picked these men. Of course, the session picked them out, but you voted on them. You approved them. So you're a part of this. And the church here we saw is pleased with this. And so we should be all delighted in what's happening this morning. It's a very pleasant thing for the church to know that good men are serving tables for the needs of those in our churches, for the neediest among us. Is that not a good thing to know, that we have men set apart for when a need goes up, when a cry goes out, there they are, ready to serve. It's a good thing. It's a pleasant thing. The second thing is this, and we'll briefly look at these. There are are qualifications for these men. The office of deacon is not just for anyone who wants it. There are standards. These men had to have a good reputation in verse 3. And then Stephen, we are told, is described as being someone who is full of faith. This all takes time to discern. The church needs to see evidence of this in men. They need to discern whether or not all these things are actually there, that they have strong faith in Christ. Now, what this would include, of course, is consistency in worship, humble service in the church. These are some of the things that the church needs to see before they just let anyone uh, become a deacon. Consistency in love home and at work, purity in speech. These are the kinds of things we see in Scripture that should be evident in men who seek the office of deacon. Paul later says, let them be tested first. We also see here that these men had wisdom. Deacons must be wise. They can't just give money and resources to anyone. They are not ATM machines for the church. They have to be discerning and wise. Some people come to our doors looking to rob the church. They want to take advantage of the resources we have. Deacons have to be aware of that and make decisions in that regard. Deacons also have to be aware of people who might repeatedly get themselves in financial trouble for whatever reason. And so perhaps they will need at some point to work with the elders to deal with what they see as a problem and someone who continually is asking for help when maybe they don't necessarily need the help that should go to someone else that takes wisdom and then of course you think about how much to give those who are in need how often this all takes wisdom and so this is what is required in these men they must be wise enough to acknowledge the need and to meet their needs to meet the needs of the people in the church 
who have these needs, meet them with generosity and compassion. Brothers and sisters who are in need, they are in a weak position, usually. Deacons need to be aware of that. They need to have the wisdom to assess that this is not an easy thing for someone to do, to ask for help, to ask for help when they're in need, to not be able to meet their daily needs. There's a weak position to be in. Deacons need to be very wise in that situation and, of course, treat these people with love and compassion and grace. This all takes wisdom. Finally, the raising up of deacons in the church and their ongoing service, it's a work of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is mentioned twice in this section. Verse 3, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the Spirit. Then in verse 5, they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and the Holy Spirit. What this means is that these men that are being ordained this morning here, and were ordained in Paul's day, or in in the days of the apostles, Paul hadn't been converted yet, Acts 6. What this means is that these men that are being called to the office of deacon this morning, they are being called by the Holy Spirit. This is a work of the Holy Spirit in our church, to serve the church. It means also that they should lead the way in exhibiting the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness. That's what that means. So there's obligations for them. But it also means there's obligations for us as well, that we would not resist the work of the Spirit in our church, but we would support them and pray for them. This is a work of the Holy Spirit in our church this morning. This is what we see from this text. And so we should encourage these brothers, pray for them, Support them in their ministry. No doubt, there will be bumps, bumps in the road after they are ordained. No doubt. But we support them. We pray for them. This is the work of the Holy Spirit. We would do well to recognize this. Look at what the Spirit did in, in the days of the apostles. Verse 7, word of God, the word of God increased and the number of disciples multiplied greatly as a result of ordaining deacons installing deacons to serve the needs of the church. This is what the Spirit was doing. Now, the last thing, what is happening in the church here when deacon... What is... The last thing I want to look at here is, is to answer the question, what is happening in the church when deacons serve tables? What is actually taking place? When someone's in need and the deacons meet that need, they serve tables, what is happening? Well, the word deacon comes from a Greek word which means to serve. Diakoneo, that's the Greek word. You can hear deacon in there. Diakoneo, deacon. It's the word that's used in verse 2. Serve tables. Tables is a different word, but the word serve is that Greek word. In In the days of the apostles, there were healings and miracles. Lame people were being healed. The blind were given sight. There are no more apostles today, therefore there are no more miracle workers in the church. They don't exist. Whoever claims that they are one of those is a false teacher and should be ignored. Miracle workers do no, no longer exist in the church. We have the word of God, we have the preaching of the word, we have the sacraments, and in that sense the church has been normalized. And so the normal work of the church is just that, preaching, sacraments, prayer, singing, But there is a kind of merciful healing ministry that Christ continues today. 
And it happens in large part through the deacons. Of course, through your free giving as well, because the deacons draw from whatever sacrifices the whole church has made. But Christ is still participating in a kind of healing ministry in the church that takes place primarily through the deacons. Let me show you why I can make that statement, why I think I can make that statement. In Mark chapter 10, this is the words of Jesus. He says this about himself. He says, the son of man came not to be served, but to serve. Diakoneo. It's a form of that word. He came not to be served, but to be a deacon. To serve and give his life as a ransom for many. The ransom, the death of Christ that heals us of all of the effects of sin, that heals us from the damaging effects of sin against God, is the ground upon which deacons do their work. And it's one of the ways in which Jesus continues to heal you through the work of these men this morning and the men we have already. I came not to be served, but to serve tables. I came to be the chief deacon and to give my life as a ransom for many. When someone is in need, when someone is weak, a widow, poor, they're, they need help. And the church steps up to the plate through the deacons and generously gives it to them. And where else do you see that kind of tangible evidence of the mercy of Jesus Christ? It's, it's difficult to find another place. That's what's happening. Every time this happens. And so this work is important. It's a high calling. Jesus is the chief deacon. And he continues to call deacons in the church today. And he's doing so uh, this morning. So praise the Lord. Praise the Lord for faithful deacons. Praise the Lord for the free and cheerful giving of the church so that we can help, properly help, the neediest among us. To Christ be all praise and glory now and forevermore. Let's pray together, friends.